Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now, please enjoy our sermon at Church on the Hill. The title that I gave to this message is Living Out the Word. It's easy to discuss the Word of God. It's easy to debate it. It's easy to display it on our social media platforms. We even have it tattooed. We put all those things on that let people know that we believe in Jesus Christ. Put it as a bumper sticker on our cars. But brothers and sisters... My concern as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is based on the biblical data, the biblical corpus that is reminding us the Lord didn't just give us the word of God so that we can go from podcast to podcast, conference to conference, preacher to preacher, and so that we can say, well, I got my daily devotion done, praise the Lord. Whose life has been impacted as a result of the catalytic encounter you've had with the word of God and the Son of God? It is interesting that the passage that we're going to look at today, many of you have already heard of it, you've read it, you've studied it multiple times, but I ask by God's grace that our time as we look at this passage be something that is going to help all of us recognize what is at stake if we live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. So please turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 10 verse 25 through 37. And it's going to be put on the screen as well for those of you who may not necessarily have it ready or even on an app. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37 is always known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I'll begin the reading. And behold, the lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered it correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And what the more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the men who fell among the robbers? He said, 
the one who showed mercy, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I would like to contrast Jesus' teachings with that of the lawyer. But before I get to that, brothers and sisters, it is not uncommon for these religious leaders to follow Jesus everywhere to pick a fight. Why are you disciples not washing their hand before they eat? Why are you eating with these sinners? But may we recognize something here. The purpose of the preaching of the gospel to all of us is not just to accumulate biblical head knowledge and brag about how many things that I've studied. Oh, I'm going to post this on social media. Isn't that nice that this has gone viral? God is not looking for the word of God to go viral. He wants to see it take roots in our lives in such a way that if somebody is to look at your life, would they find that there is an encounter with the son of the living God that is manifesting itself in your life? When we look to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that which we call one of those great commission texts, before the Lord Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, here's what he said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I would like to draw our attention to. In verse 20, teach them to observe. All that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Teaching people so that they will live it out. That's where the title of this message comes from. It is not just to let people hear God's word and go home and say, Boy, pastor, you stopped on my toes today. Man, that was a good message. And just go home and live as if there is nothing that needs to be dealt with biblically, spiritually. Jesus insists, teach them. To observe, to live out, not just some, because our propensity is to only create our own buffet. Well, I don't like praying. I don't like doing this. I'm not going to do that. Jesus is not giving us that option. He says, teach them to observe, not just some, all, and then here's the injunction, commended you, and behold, I'm with you always to the ends of the age. He takes that personally, and he is involved with that to the ends of the age. And if we look again at another passage that he gave before he ascended to heaven, in Acts 1.8, here's what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit is to come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. To be Jesus' witnesses, not just people who are going to proclaim those words, but we will practice it, brothers and sisters. You want to be a world changer? The Lord is not looking for superheroes. It is just looking for people who have summoned the courage to say, Lord Jesus, not my way, yours and the biblical corpus in our hands, those 66 books from Genesis to Revelation is that which we're looking at it as our instruction manual. And if we do it, lives are going to change. I want to contrast that with that of the expert in the law of Moses. He came to test Jesus, as I said earlier, to pick a fight. Oh, there are some people that go on social media, poking on things that this, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Not with what the Lord Jesus Christ is expecting for us. Here's why. The expert in the law of Moses is asking Jesus, so what will I do to inherit eternal life? 
All of us have to think about mortality. Every single one of us sitting in this sanctuary and those who are watching online, every one of us, we have an expiration date. It's not like they're going to put a QR code on your back. We can scan it and say, you know what? You have a balance of five years left on your life. How do you want to go? Five weeks left enough after graduation of the grandkids? We are not given that luxury. Hebrews 9.27 said it's appointed unto man once to die. By twist of circumstances, we can find ourselves in a perilous situation. The expert in the law of Moses has known, he has studied more than 600 Mosaic laws. That's why when he asked that question, he could just readily, he didn't even have to whip those dependents out of his book, out of his pocket. He starts saying to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Just like that. And then it's interesting. He says, so who's my neighbor again? To whom am I supposed to live out these biblical convictions? My concern is not just so much the knowledge of the word of God. To know more than 600 plus mosaic laws. Many people always think about, well, my kids are my everything. Praise God. They're the only one that I'm going to demonstrate those things of the word of God to them. So instead of the Lord Jesus Christ, give him a definition to memorize. Since we have seen what he's just done with quoting Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with your might. And also reciting Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18b, but you shall, show, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. It is one thing to memorize it, but having the head knowledge, it has to become a conviction in our hearts and it will move our actions. That's why Bob Pierce said, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. So here's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Instead of giving him a definition, he gave him a description. I'm not going to give you another definition because you're going to just memorize it and go pick another fight with that. A man leaves Jerusalem on a way to Jericho. He left the 3,500 feet above sea level traveling to Jericho. He fell in the hands of thieves. The proclivity of thieves, the pathology of thieves, the pattern is that thieves do not discriminate. A thief will rob his grandmother. A thief will not hesitate to steal from you. If you're on social security, whether you're on disability, a thief will rob you. Unashamedly will break into the sanctuary to rob these speakers and everything that we have. That is the proclivity of thieves. And a man was leaving Jerusalem on a human, ordinary activities, traveling to Jericho, 860 plus feet below sea level. He got caught by thieves. Jesus has said this in John 10.10. 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Why? The thief does this indiscriminately. Doesn't look at you. You know what? Since you're struggling with cancer, whatever, I'm going to go look at what happens with identity. Theft. Thieves do not discriminate. And a man is in the hands of thieves. Caught by these thieves who beat him so bad. Left him to die. Three people saw him. First one was a priest. A man of God. He came to that site. He saw this man. Instead of doing something, he passed by. The second one was a Levite. This is like the assistant to the pastor. He too came to the site, saw the man, passed by. And of all people, it's a Samaritan. John 4, 9, Jesus said, well, a Samaritan woman, when he asked her for water, the Samaritan woman said to him, Jews and Samaritans do not have any dealings. It has never crossed the mind of the Hebrew people 
that one day the people they do not get along with, one of their own, will be in trouble. And it is a Samaritan who is going to summon the courage to say, not on my watch. Look at what that man has done. And this is why it is so important for us to understand. You come to a site. He didn't ask him, are you a Baptist? Are you a Methodist? Are you a Democrat? Are you a Republican? None of that. It is immaterial to him. It is a man, the surpassing value of this human being. That's all that matters to him. He stopped by. He took care of him. He got off of the animal, used his first aid kit, the oil and wine, took care of this man, picked him up. Supposedly he was probably 150 or 200 pounds. He picked him up by himself, put him on his own animal, took him to a hotel, spends the night with this stranger, didn't ask him, where do you live? He's not there claiming, well, I don't want to create dependency. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Because if you have not been in trouble, you will not have an appreciation for the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ about what happened to this man from Jerusalem. The next day, he pays for the hotel bills personally. And as he was about to leave, he wanted to see an extension of that care to that man who was unrelated to him. He said to the hotel manager, take care of this man. Should you incur additional expenses associated with the care of this guy, charge it to my credit card. He didn't say, take his home address. When he gets better, let his family come and replace it. When you hear these world changers tell you about what we need to do to give people dignity in life, it is an appreciation to realize, number one, compassion is costly. Number two, compassion is inconvenient. The man on the way from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he fell hands of thieves, the Samaritan was interrupted by the fact that this guy is now in need of care. It's disruptive because all of a sudden he has to change his plan. He has to use his own resources, the oil and wine, the time. He spends a night taking care of a guy of somebody who is unrelated to him. The hotel is not set up to take care of wounded people. So he tells them, should you incur additional expenses associated with the care of that guy? Maybe you need to go buy another thing of oil. What if, because he sustained so much beating. And we're not talking about pickpocketers here, brothers and sisters. Remember when the Lord Jesus Christ was on the cross of Calvary? It was two criminals, thieves. These are people that are bad beating. I'm talking about grand theft. These are not people who are just like pickpocketers. We're talking about serious thieves. He takes care of him. He takes care of the cost. And he didn't do it because this guy is related to him. I mentioned earlier, all of us who are parents, when we insist, well, my kids are my everything. I'm just going to do it. I mean, you know, we live in a safe neighborhood. Praise God. Are you kidding me? You live long enough. You're not always going to be there when your family members are in trouble. And you're going to need somebody who's going to summon the courage like the Samaritan man who will say, not on my watch. I do not want it on my conscience that I saw this guy in trouble. What would he say to his family? He did not want that on his conscience because of the surpassing value of this guy. In Genesis 1.26, God said, let us create men in our image and in, in our likeness. And that's what you look for when you want to talk about this business of making Christ known. So here's the summary and the takeaway from that. You love God vertically, you're going to have to love people. You can't just say to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm not going to do it for other people. The picture of loving God, it has to include people irrespective of their backgrounds. 
Because that could have been you in the hands of those thieves. So when the Lord Jesus Christ said, go and do likewise, he is saying, take it into account that that could have been you in the hands of those thieves. Go and do likewise. What would you want somebody to do to your child if they find that you're not able to come to them, to their aid? Go and do likewise. Love God, love people. And to love people indiscriminately, pray that the Lord will give you the courage. That is why making Christ known to the ends of the earth is so important for us. I want to draw your attention to my story. So I shared the message and passionately and hopefully convictionally let you see Jesus' heart for being the hands and the feet of Jesus to this broken world. I am originally from the Central African Republic. Located in the heart of the African continent is this former French colony about the size of Texas. Many people are not aware of this. Africa, the continent, is three times bigger than the size of continental United States. Flip America three times, excluding Alaska and the Hawaiian Islands. That's how massive this continent is. How did the gospel come to me? It is people willing to pay the price of this. So the map of Central African Republic, if you look at it, that map... To the eastern, southern, southeastern part of the country is a, a province called Bangasu. You have Democratic Republic of Congo and you have Bangasu. That's where I was born. I'm going somewhere with this. And there's a picture of a guy here by the name of William Haas, born in Menden, Michigan. He was a pastor of a small church there. He was the father of two daughters and his wife. But the interesting part was he was a very, he was a brilliant man. Interestingly, he didn't want to go to Africa. He said, Lord, send me anywhere but Africa. Two daughters died right here in the United States, and his wife died of tuberculosis. It arrested him. He thought that safety was outside of the United States, that was only here in the United States. And when that happened, he decided, Lord, not anymore my wish. He married a second wife by the name of Genevieve, and they went to the Central African Republic. Oh, what a blessing it's been for me, because he has translated half of the Bible, the New Testament, into my native language. And I'd like for you to hear John 3.16. Here is John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Brothers and sisters, there's nearly one billion people on the planet whose primary language is French. Here's what they will hear if they were to hear John 3:16. Jean chapitre 3 verset 16. Car Dieu a tant aimé le monde qu'il a donné son fils unique afin que quiconque croit en lui ne périsse point mais qu'il ait la vie éternelle. And in my native language that William Haas has translated this Bible, here's what it says. Tetinza pa andoyese se sotongaso le mumelenge ti lungengela ko si je sois manabena la lingi ku pepe melo ki na finiti la kola kwa. William Haas unfortunately died in the province where I was born. It's just a little boulder that they put there. And they put on his tomb. The guy was born in 1873 in Menton, Michigan. Died May 28, 1924 in Bangasu on my birth certificate. That's the name of that province where William Huss died. It is said that as he was dying, he recited Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And as his voice was fading away, the brothers and sisters from the Central African Republic who got saved, who were around his bedside, helped finish the balance of that passage for him as he entered the presence of his Lord and Savior. That is the cost of bringing that good news of the gospel to my people and to me in Central African Republic. The picture I want you to see now is that of my parents. They're the second generation of believers saved under the work of our global workers and missionaries. 
My dad, Joseph, was a soldier. He insisted that, Cyrus, if you're going to go to school, people are going to ask you, what are you going to do with your education? It's one thing to say, I want to be a lawyer, a doctor. He said, but what has your education done to you? What kind of a person have you become as a result of the formal training that you have? Do not be cocky. It is only by the grace of God you have the opportunity and the privilege of education because of the word of God. My mother, Eugenie, all of them disciples because of these missionaries. William Haas is unaware of this, but he has done his part. My mother, Eugenie, I'm the oldest of 12 children. She has challenged me by saying, Cyrus, if you abuse any woman, you've abused me personally. I am a mother, I am a woman, and I'm somebody else's daughter. And she was doing that because she was raising seven sons. And she did not want any of her sons to see themselves as God's gift to women. She said, I'm not going to participate in dog breeding because the cultural practices of men are dogs. They just can't help themselves. But my mother said, on the authority of the word of God, that which William Haas has translated in my language, she said, not on my watch. Inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these among you, you've done it unto me. Thank God for William Haas. I was eight years old, always passionate about airplanes. In the capital city of Central African Republic, I saw our friends fly over our capital city to land at the international airport. I didn't have shoes on. You know, when you have 12 kids, it's a lot to take care of. And I told a friend of mine, I said, one day I'm going to be on a plane. And he laughed at me. He said, Cyrus, look at us. We don't have shoes. It's only people that have money. But as God would have it, this young boy you're looking at at the age of eight, it was in 1994. The Lord has allowed me to get on an airplane. Air friends from Bungie to Paris, Paris to Dulles, Washington. On the second flight from Paris to Dulles, the flight attendant came to give us the plate of the food and all of that. And I said, ma'am, would you please give me a trash bag? I want to save the cups and the plates from that trip. Because I told a friend of mine, one day I'm going to be on a plane. I want to save evidence of being on this plane. <laughs> and, uh, I immediately told that lady, and she got excited. She gave me a bag. I should have brought those. They're still in Virginia at my house. I saved them. But here's why I say this. The picture of my brothers and sisters, thank God for the gospel, that have helped my parents to challenge us. But you would think that the death of William Hassas discouraged other missionaries from continuing to do work in Central African Republic. No. Two medical missionaries have gone to the Central African Republic, May Allen and Edie Witherspoon. And it's interesting that when they were in the Central African Republic, an African mother gave birth and died. Maternal mortality in most of those villages is quite high. One in 27 women that goes to a hospital to deliver a baby will now walk out of their life. In the United States, it's one in 4,800. You don't hear of a mother going to a hospital to deliver and die because of the medical infrastructure that we have. The baby was brought to the clinic that May Allen was practicing medicine in. She took care of that orphan in the middle of the African continent, not on her watch. This is what happens when you read the word of God. You don't just demonstrate it for your own. She took care of this orphan, Julie, and I got to meet Julie in 1985 in Central African Republic. I was enamored by that girl. And brothers and sisters, I'd like to show you the next picture from this. My wife, Julie, in whom I'm well pleased by God's grace. We've been married for 34 years by the blessings of the word of God and God himself in our lives. We've seen, we've seen our ups and downs. The orphan that May Allen was taking care of in the middle of the African continent was because of the word of God. Religion that is pleasing to God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Her story has become a legend. I want to go quickly to another story. I came to the United States because I was sponsored. I went to Malone University where I did all my undergraduate studies. A local church actually found out that I needed a place 
And so they put a bulletin in the lobby like this, and a firefighter who was a member of that church peeled that number and called me. Her name is Marty Stockdale. She's still living in Canton. She contacted me and said, Sarah, she don't know me. I have a place for you to go to school. And the next picture I want you to see is Marty is helping feed me. She helped me with my papers because I speak fluently French. Now I'm studying at a you know, post-secondary here in the United States in English. That's what she did. That was her ministry. So when we're talking about pray, give, and go right here in our own context, you can affect the world. I got to meet a brother here in this room from Liberia, international students. You don't know that God has brought the nations to you already. So when we're taking this weekend as an opportunity for us to make Christ known, that's what we're talking about. Cyrus, who's from the Central African Republic, is now invested in because of this lady from Canton, Ohio. At my graduation, when my diplomas and everything they gave me, Marty came and said, Marty, I'll never be able to repay you for what you've done. Here's what Marty says, Cyrus, pay it forward. To whom much is given, much is required. God has blessed Julian as with three children, Becky, Michael, and Irene. Our youngest daughter, I'll get to that as I wrap up. We're also grandparents. We have a grandson, Isaac, who's nine, and then another one who is uh, four. But brothers and sisters, when I came to the United States, the church that sent my mother-in-law, May Allen, to Africa was struggling, almost closed its doors. And as a member of that local church, I stood up at a business meeting on Wednesday night. They wanted to sell the building, join sister churches, and give the proceeds to mission agencies. I said, wait a minute. I am the beneficiary of how this local church has prayed, has given. That's how I got here. And in that business meeting, I stood up and I said, I'm going to make a fool of myself, challenging us that we're not going to sell it. We have become a maintenance ministry. We get together for our covered dish casserole. We complain that things have gotten so bad out there, and we're not about making Christ known. They said, so Cyrus, what are you going to do about it? They voted for me to become the pastor of the church that sent May Allen to Africa. Let that sink in. May Allen thought she was taking care of an orphan in the middle of the African continent many years ago, but not knowing that because of the faithfulness of the local church, she was raising her pastor's wife. I became May Allen's pastor. This is the medical missionary that has served in my country. And so I served on pastoral staff in Northern Virginia. And all that happened was because May Allen, at the age of 52, raised those wrinkled hands and said, God, can you do something with this life? Because most of us, we just want to arrive safely at death. Well, nothing broke, but whose life has been made better? Because you live. Can somebody say, I can face tomorrow? Can I face my Savior as a result of what you've done? Here's another picture for you to see. What May Allen has done, the table has turned. She had stroke in Lynchburg, Virginia, taken to the Lynchburg General Hospital. The doctor at the emergency room entered the room and said, May, if you become incapacitated, who has the power of attorney? May Allen wiggled the other hand and pointed at my wife, Julie. That's the orphan that she took care of many years ago on the authority of the word of God. I saw that, and all of a sudden, Proverbs 22, 6 says, You train up a child in the way that he should go. When he goes old, he will not depart from it. May is now the beneficiary of those words of compassion. That's what I want us to see as a result of our time together, brothers and sisters. If we want to be used of the Lord, it's not just going to be of our own. Because the man that left Jerusalem when he got in trouble, it's somebody unrelated to him who summoned the courage to honor the Lord with that. Quickly, the lady that helped me to stay at her house, my school was following me and I was nominated the alumnus of the year. And so they invited me to come back and receive the award. I went to that school. I invited Marty. She's now retired from being a firefighter. She came on stage when I was in front of all those students at Malone University. 
I said, you see that lady? I could have been an axe murderer in her house for four years. She cared for me. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Because God's church has presented a need to her. And that's how she took care of me. She did not know that one day I will become a preacher. Crisscrossing the world. Making Christ known. And it is a privilege for me to be in front of you, brothers and sisters. Whose life is going to be impacted as a result of our gathering this weekend? Somebody will say, because you gave. That's why my life has been changed for eternity. That is my passion, and I speak as if this is the last time I get to talk to you. Why? There was a time, I honestly, three children when I moved to Virginia, my youngest daughter came, knock on the door of my car, asked permission of me to go swim. Moments later, that kid drowned from a swimming pool accident. Had it not been for the Word of God, I would have lost my mind. None of us want to outlive our children, but this book is replete with fathers who have outlived their children. Joseph is one of them. We, uh, David is one of them. Job is one of them. Job 1.21. He was about to have the funeral of seven sons and three daughters. That's when he said, the Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We sing this song. He gives and takes away. My heart would choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you realize that those words were coming out of the mouth of a father? who just found out seven sons and three daughters were killed simultaneously, not sequentially. It's not like it lingered. All of them dead. But he decided to honor the Lord. On the authority of the word of God, I'm able to deal with that life. I knew I've gone over, but I want to take the last minute of this time to encourage every single one of us that the pastoral staff and all the leaders of this church has given us an opportunity. They have a responsibility to shepherd God's people in such a way. One Cyrus's life would be changed. So my decision has been made. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. Here's who this person is. Therefore, God the Father has also highly exalted him and has given him the name that is above all names. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My brothers and sisters, this is a sacred responsibility that I've been given today. And I have served you by letting you not only see the word of God in hearts, heart of God about making disciples of all nations, beginning here at home and across the globe, because another Cyrus will someday give testimony that the local church has done what they has done. May God continue to use church on the hill to be a place that will change the trajectory of thousands of lives for his glory. Pastor Scott, please come, brother.